0: Jesus Star shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night. Word, speak to me By the years of past defeat. But then I see you standing near me, shining with compassion in your eyes. Day stars shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night.
1: Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this service today. I thank you for where you're leading us and where you're taking us. and I just pray, Lord, that you would be um, all about the next few minutes as we talk about your word and that you would inspire us to say and hear the things that you would have said and heard. and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to continue talking about First Peter. And today we're going to talk about holy fear and judgment, holy fear ha, and judgment. And uh, this is going to be fun. I, I'm, I'm really loving this discussion as we're getting into it. This is the eighth message now we've had on First Peter, and we're not even out of the chapter one yet. So we're working it. We're getting through it. In fact, we're going to be on verse seventeen today. So we're getting there. But we've been talking about um, how Paul, how, I'm sorry, how Peter has encouraged the church of this day. Uh, with the things of eternity he talked to us about having a in a, a uh, living hope a hope that uh, of eternal life with the rewards and and things that are coming that will never perish spoiled or fade away that means that things of earth will fade but things of heaven will never diminish think about this for a minute things of heaven will never diminish or fade This is important because when I was thinking about this this week, that I I understand how easily I get distracted and I get bored with things. And I'm not ADHD. But yet, there is something about our earthly mindset that when I first get something, I'm very excited about it. When I first get a new computer, I get very excited about the new computer. I get in a car, I get a toy, I get a drone, or whatever it is. I get really excited about it, you know, for a while. And it doesn't, it's not long before that excitement kind of fades away. And it kind of loses its specialty to me anymore. And I kind of get bored with it. And, and, and basically, as the, it really comes down to the more familiar I get with something, the less amazing it remains. Do you know what I'm talking about? And basically, it is a strange phenomenon, but um, we get more and more familiar with something, and as we do that, we lose the fear of it, or we lose the amazement of it, or we lose the gratitude for having it. We lose the thrill of achieving it. It's not long, and it's just old school. It's been there, done that, have that T-shirt. Overall, the more we're around something, the less meaningful it becomes. And that's the normal way we think and react. I don't know that there's anybody that's any different. I think we're all in that same boat. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But there's something about heaven that is never going to diminish. Heaven is never going to perish, spoil, or fade. We're never going to get bored in heaven. Understand that. We're never going to, it's never going to lose its imagination and its fascination and its awesomeness to us when we're there. That is something that my mind... I have a hard time comprehending that. That I'll never get tired of it. Okay, let's move on. Peter also encouraged us how to rejoice in our sufferings as we go through the process of suffering. Not for the sake of suffering, but there's a result there that proves our genuineness and, and, our, and our faith, which results in the praise and glory to Jesus Christ. We've been instructed by Peter through this to be holy as God is holy and to be set apart the trappings of this world and how do we do this well we've talked about it over the weeks we do this by setting our minds on christ how we study and apply his word and we allow it to sink in and become part of us like jesus was one with god we are to be one with christ in the same fashion and this is actually a, this is a transforming process versus a conforming process that we talked about before, how we conform to the evil practices of, of this world and the way that we don't conform is by transforming our mind through the things of Christ. We've talked about those in the past few weeks. Today we're going to, talk a little, we're going to dig a little deeper into how we are to live pleasing lives before the Lord. How are we to live this? Open your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Open your Bible if you have it. Beginning at verse 17. It says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Amen. Because Peter has given us all the information that we've just briefly talked about, He can say, since, since you call on a father who who judges each works impartially, live your time as foreigners here on earth in reverent fear. He's developed a thought that we've been talking about so that he can say, since you already know something, then this is how you are to live it out. Since you already know this, then this is how you are to respond to what you know. Since you're saved, since you're redeemed, since you have a relationship with the Father, then listen up and learn how you should respond to him. He's talking to Christians now. This is not a salvation message. This is a message talking to the church. He's talking to those that are scattered amongst Asia Minor that are already Christian people, that are already being discipled and are in the process of being discipled. He's not talking to the worldly person that doesn't know God He's talking to the Christian that does know God. Now, we're going to talk about judgment today. We're going to talk about fear. Now, maybe, maybe you don't realize this morning that there are really two phases or two steps of judgment. Every person, every person is going to be judged on what they did with Jesus. That's the one question that God is going to ask every person. What did you do with my son? I'm paraphrasing that. He probably will say it a little differently. But that's the thrust. What did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? That is the judgment of salvation or death. That is what will tell you if you get into heaven or go to hell. That's the judgment of the, of the, of the believer versus the non-believer. Meaning that, they, meaning that what did you do with Jesus? Did you accept him as your savior? And then did you make him your lord? meaning that you gave him ownership of your life. All right, that's, no, that's judgment number one. The next judgment, if you come through that one as a Christian, you're going to be judged again. The next judgment is not what did you do with Christ, it's how did you live your life thereafter. After you knew him, after he became your Savior and your Lord, then what did you do with his commands? What did you do with the things he told you to do with those things? Were you pleasing to him? This is the judgment of heavenly rewards. So there's two judgments. There's one for salvation, and then there's the other one for rewards. And we're having some interesting discussion on Wednesday nights because we're talking about heaven. I would encourage you, if you can come into Wednesday nights over the next few weeks, I would like to have that in here rather than in a chapel, because this is so exciting, and this is something that we need to talk about. We have not talked about heaven enough. As the church, we have not taught it. We've not preached about it. We just say heaven is there. Good luck. But there is so much to talk about heaven, and part of it is how we live to get there. So I encourage you to come in. So there's two, two judgments, salvation and rewards. Matthew chapter 16. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So this passage right here touches on both judgments. The one, are you, have, you, have you taken up the cross of Christ? Have you accepted him for your, to be your Savior and to be your Lord? And then after that, then we will be rewarded or judged for our Actions, what do we do? This reference gives us both. First, we deny, deny ourselves to take up Christ. Secondly, Jesus will reward us for our actions. In our last Wednesday night study, we're just, we've just introduced this talk about heaven. And John Bevere, we watched a short video uh, that he presented this challenge to us. And he stressed the concept of what it means to be judged by God as a Christian. What does it mean to be judged by God? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 10. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, we're still alive. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, we make it our goal to please Him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So obviously here, this passage is speaking clearly to the Christian person. Clearly to the Christian person because it's saying that if you are out of the body, you're in heaven. That's not unbeliever now. We're talking to the Christian. We all know. We all know that God loves us, correct? We sang about it earlier, our our good, good father. It talks about God's love. And we also know that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us any more than he already does. He's perfect in his love for us. Nothing I can do to gain any more love. And I also know that there's nothing I can do to diminish God's love for me. I am perfect. When you say perfect in the love of God, that means I can't get better and I can't get worse. I am perfect in the love of God. There is nothing I can do to gain God's love, nor can I anything I can do to diminish God's love. Think about that with your child for a minute. Do you love your child? Is there anything that your child can do to you that would make you not love them? Is there anything that they would do to make you love them more? Probably not. But there's one thing that we do have responsibility for, and that is, like our children have responsibility to, and that is to please those that love us and that we love. Many times we get love and pleasing mixed up. My child may not do things that I'm pleased with, and it might appear that I don't love them as much. Or if they do something that pleases me, it might appear that I love them more. But that's not really true it's not it's not my love doesn't change for them god's love does not change for me one way or the other but but i am responsible as my child is responsible as i was responsible for my parents to please them and i have responsibility there's accountability in the in the pleasing not accountability in the getting them to love me more Because it's not about getting them to love me more. It's about me pleasing them because they love me so much. We get confused. And the devil is right there in the middle of that confusion. He is trying to get us to see it wrong. Look at Jesus' life. What was his mission at life on earth? What was his his life's mission? His life's mission was to die for us, but the the only way that he could be that perfect sacrifice to die for us was to live a perfect and pleasing life unto his father john chapter 8 verse 29 the one who sent me is with me jesus speaking he has not left me alone for i always do what pleases him i always do what pleases my father that's the heart of christ It was never a legalistic approach. Jesus didn't say this legalistically. It wasn't because he had to. It was because he wanted to. Because he was so much in love with his Father. Because they were so much together in unity that he couldn't even think of doing anything that would not please him. That's what our life should be about. That's what I'm talking about here. It's about focusing on the relationship of loving God so much that I should not want to do anything that would displease him. That's the heart that God's looking for. That's not a legalistic goal. So our goal, our aim as a Christian person is to live a life that is pleasing to our Father. And this is not so that he would become our Father. But it's because he is our Father. And because I love him so much that I just want to please him. Please. Make sure you hear that point. Make sure you don't go off the edge, either one, either side here, because we're not pleasing to Lord to get him to approve of us. We're not pleasing him so that he will save us. I'm pleasing him because I love him. That's it. That's the heart cry of every Christian person that's truly a Christian. I'm pleasing the one that I love. That's really important. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now we as children of God will be judged according to our works in this life, whether your works are good or bad. And there's a whole other lesson and we're not going to get into that about what happens when you do the bad things but yet are still saved. Can you lose rewards? The answer shortly is yes. We'll get into that later maybe some other time. Discuss it with me if you want. But I'm talking about uh, we will be judged. We will be, uh, uh, God will look at us based upon what our life was like in this world and he will reward us app- appropriately without compromise and without any, any impartiality. And when we are at that time of judgment, I will tell you right now, you may not get it right now, it may be disturbing to you right now, but when you get there, you will then see how God sees things. You will see how a perfect judge judges and you will agree with it. (laughs) You may not like it, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like when God says, Mike, you didn't do this, you didn't please me here. I don't know what I'm going to feel like, but I will look at it and say, well, you're right. You're absolutely right because God sees things justly and we will see things when we get to heaven when we're judged at that moment in time we will see things the way God sees things and that will help us understand a lot of things that we don't understand right now. So let's not worry about that. This should give us prime motivation as to how we live our life. This should be the thing that should help us to look at things that I do as they are, they do matter. And I don't know how this makes you feel this morning. I don't know if this shakes up your theology, that God will judge you as a Christian. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I don't know if this makes God out to be a mean and demanding father because he's going to judge us. I don't know how you think. But I do want to help you understand that we are going to be judged. Now let me give you a different word. Maybe the word judged is too harsh. Maybe we should look at it this way that God is going to be looking at our life, and then He's going to to be making a decision, a decision about what He's going to do with us as a result of what we've lived here that's never going to change. That decision that's made in heaven is going to be an eternal decision that's going to be there forever and ever and ever. Based upon what I'm doing right now, God is going to make a decision. About what my rewards are going to be. That are going to be forever and ever and ever. And they're never going to diminish. They're never going to perish. And they're never going to spoil. It's cool. This is awesome. This gives me motivation to live a life here above reproach. Not a life of legalism. But a life of a heart that is for Jesus. That I just want to love him. And I want to choose the things that make him happy. Now. Let me just say this about the strategies of the devil because we have a devil that is very strategic. And let me say this. He doesn't have to to get you to sin to win. All he has to do is just to get you to think his way about God's ways and he will steal your rewards. He doesn't have to get you to sin to win. He just has got to get you to think the way he thinks about God's ways because he doesn't see God's ways in the right fashion. The devil's ways of thinking will make you proud of what you're doing here on earth. And that, so you'll do things to be seen by men. Let me give you an example. Two people can do the exact same thing and depending on their motivation get two different results. Let me just give you a real simple illustration. We have coffee every morning in the foyer. All right? Now, one person will make the coffee and he'll want everyone to know that he made the coffee so that they can hear how good the coffee was. They want you to know how the coffee impacted your life for that day so that you can do so good for others that you can have some credit in what's going on because you made the coffee. Okay? The second person... Knows the coffee needs to be made, so he makes the coffee. And he makes it the best he can. He makes sure the coffee pot is clean. He puts the right amount of coffee in it and water so it tastes good. And then he makes sure that there's cups and condiments out there so that everyone can enjoy it when they get there. And then he thinks nothing of it after that. And then he moves on because he's got other things to do. Colossians chapter 3. 23 through 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I'm not making coffee to get rewards by people. I'm serving the Lord. We've got to make sure we keep our heart's motivation in check. Why? Why? are we doing the things that we do why that's another point to be made here that if we if we do things to be seen by men then our reward is limited to how men can reward us versus how God can reward us let me say that again if you're doing things to be seen by men then your reward is limited to what a man can reward you as versus what God can reward you as. Which would you rather have, man's reward or God's reward? Yeah. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. No reward. Not less reward. You'll have no reward so when you give to the needy do not announce it with the trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you it's not that we aren't to do the good things we are to do the good things but why am I doing them? Am I doing them to be seen by men or am I doing them because I'm serving God? How do you want your reward? Do you want it now or later? All right, now, I would pray that we would use this as a motivator for, our, for continuing to live our life before God because he goes on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, the second part of that verse It says, since you call on a father who judges these persons impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. (laughs) Fear. We're to live out our life as foreigners here. Now, what does this mean? Simply put, think of our time here as temporary and not eternal. This is not our home. What you have, what you're sitting on, the car you drive, the home you go back to, the clothes you have on right now, they are not eternal. This is not our home. We can't stress that enough. Everything here we gain or lose will stay here. But we, our spirit man, will move on. We will take nothing with us as we die. We talked about it in the prayer before the service with with the worship team. Scott has got selling some horses, and he says he's never seen a horse with a luggage rack. Actually, he said a hearse. Jackie thought he said a horse. <laughs> I've never seen a horse with a luggage, luggage rack either, Jackie. I've seen hearses, but not a horse. Anyway, we are to live here like it is not our home. And then Peter says we are to live here not just that it's not our home, but we're to live in reverent fear. Fear of what? Fear of who? I would be fearing man. Is that what we're fearing? Are we fearing that uh, what the stock market's going to be? Are we, are we, fearing, you know, where, what my, where my next meal is coming from or whatever? No, we're to be fearing God. We're to be fearing God above everything else. It Says in the book of Psalms one eleven and Proverbs chapter one, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning. But I must have the fear if I'm going to begin. Let me make this comment about fear. The problems that come to us and many others is because we lose the fear of the Lord in our lives and we do things without considering the consequences of what God thinks about the things we do. We lose the fear of the Lord. Therefore, I don't fear the consequences of the things that I do. I lose the fear. That's the problem. I lose the fear. If I have proper fear of the Lord, reverent fear, it gives me the proper motivations for everything I do. But when I lose the fear of God, I get too complacent. I get too comfortable with things. A good example of this happened in, in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, as the early church was beginning, a couple came in and sold all their property. Sold all their property. They were bringing the offering into the church to give it to the church. Ananias and Sapphira, you might recognize the names. You can go back and read the account in chapter 5. But just to top line it, they came in independently. Ananias came first. Sapphira came later in the day. And they came in and said, here's the money that we gave. The problem was they didn't tell Peter that it wasn't all the money they, had, they, they got. They, 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 made it a, they made it appear like it was all the money they, sold for the, they got for the field and they're giving it all to the church. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. All right? Chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. If they would have said, we sold it for X and we're giving you this, I don't think there would have been a problem. But they said, we sold it for X and we're giving you X. Okay, skipping down to the end of the story and the purpose for God's immediate judgment here is that, uh, look at verse 10 and 11. At that moment, this has happened to Sapphira, Ananias already died. At that moment, she fell down dead at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carrying her out, buried her beside her husband. And here's the point. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is a reverent fear of the judgment of God. And this is a fear that nobody forgot about. If you witnessed it or heard about it, believe me, you would not forget about it. Right? So what does that have for us to do today? I'm not saying that God is going to strike you dead. His judgment today isn't that severe at the moment. <laughs> but let me tell you, it will be that severe at the end if we don't make it right. One commentary says this, "...without a proper fear of God and his justified anger and judgment against sin, God's people will soon conform to the ungodly ways of the world. They will find themselves cut off from God's mercy and his favor. The fear of the Lord was, ne- was a necessary element of New Testament faith. And it must also be present as part of biblical Christianity today." The part of biblical Christian. I love the way he says that. If... He talks about it as being part of biblical Christianity today. Can there be an unbiblical form of Christianity? Yeah. I would guess that there could be a form of Christianity that wouldn't be biblical, but I don't think it's really Christianity. All right, the problem here is that there are many forms of Christianity that have no fear of God. And thus they become unbiblical in their Christian faith. Meaning that they don't see the consequences of doing things Before God. They don't see the consequences of pleasing God and thinking that God is still going to reward them as faithful and pleasing, even if they don't please God. See how the the twist it becomes so twisted? Remember what we said earlier. Satan doesn't have to get you to sin to win. He just has to get you into thinking his way about God's ways, and he will not only steal your rewards, but he could also steal your eternity. Satan takes the fear of God from us subtly doesn't happen overnight we become so complacent so comfortable with god you know this is really dangerous for older christians i gotta tell you this is very serious how many people have been christians for 10 20 30 40 years have been in the church all their life i gotta tell you folks you cannot afford to allow to become so comfortable in the presence of god that you lose its awesomeness and you lose the fear of god it happens It happens way too much in the churches today that we just come in and we go through the ritual without having the fear of the Lord. And if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you really have nothing. It's unbiblical Christianity and you will be judged. You will not make the first judgment. Let's just say it for what it is. Clearly, that we need to say it for what it is. It's called political correctness. And we cannot afford to allow ourselves to become politically correct when it comes to the fear of the Lord. The New Testament church continued to grow and be strengthened as they continued to live in the fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. You grow and you increase your spiritual life as you maintain the fear of the Lord every day. We're to continue to live in it and thrive in it, living out our Christian life as we work out our salvation daily. Yeah. Philippians two twelve. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You're saved. Continue to work it out in fear and trembling. Yeah. Peter then goes on in verse 18. First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There's passion here in Peter's voice. I, I wish we could hear it from the way he really said it, but I can only imagine the passion that he said this with, that God didn't save us from death and hell and eternal de- destruction with a simple act of sacrificing something that is perishable. He sacrificed something that was imperishable so that we could live an imperishable life. He gave Christ, he gave Jesus, his son, that is imperishable. He became Human, He became mortal. He became perishable for us, but yet in his nature, he is imperishable and it takes an imperishable sacrifice to give something that is perishable, imperishability. Does that make sense? You have to have something that is already immortal to be given as a sacrifice if you're going to have immortality. You can't sacrifice something that's going to die anyways to give you eternal life. Jesus Christ had to come out of heaven in the imperishable so that he could perish so that we could live imperishable. That's the amazing part of the sacrifice of Christ. Christ is not referred here as a lion. Verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He is not seen here as a lion. He's seen here as a helpless little lamb that did nothing to threaten anybody or anyone, that did nothing to deserve to die had no blemish, had no defect whatsoever. But because of that, he qualified to be the perfect sacrifice so that you and I, in our imperfections and in our failures, can be saved eternally. He didn't come as a lion at that point. He came as a lion. Now he's coming back as a lion. He's coming back as a warrior. And he's coming back to defeat the enemy once and for all, soon, I hope, very soon, but he's coming back as a lion, but he didn't die that way. He died as a lamb, as led to the slaughter for you and I. See, and that should help us to take away our arguments about God and about Jesus being an eternal judge of who we are. Because if I can see Jesus as the perfect sacrifice that has given up the imperishability to perish so that I can Im- so that I can be imperishable, I should then be willing to say, Judge me, Lord. Judge me. I shouldn't have any arguments with that anymore. I should be able to see him truly as the authorized judge of my life. And it shouldn't seem harsh or ungodly or unloving to recognize that Christ, who gave such a, a huge price to save me, would be able to take away my sin that could also then be my judge. I would rather be judged by him by Satan. Wouldn't you rather be judged by the guy that saved you than the guy that's condemning you? Yeah. So you can know it's going to be faithful and you can know it's going to be true and just Jackie, would you come please? We made the statement earlier that the more we're around something, the less impressive it remains to us. Remember that at the very beginning? That we get comfortable and the awesomeness of what it is it wears away. You know what that's really called? It's called first love. And the sad thing is that this happens to many Christians. Many have become complacent and lost the fear or the first love of Christ on a daily basis. Now, we might have it now. It may feel easy. It might become nice in the church. But what are you, what's happening on Monday morning? What's happening on Tuesday night? What's happening throughout the week? Are you still in the fear of the Lord? Are you still cherishing that first love? Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. Jesus says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. All good things all good things. But yet, verse 4, But yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Repent. And do the things you did at first. For if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This morning, I just want to encourage us to take a moment here to see Peter's words and his encouragement of what it is to have holy fear and to recognize that you're going to be judged for your works and not in a negative way, but use this as a motivator to have a holy heart and to have a heart with proper motivations and that we could, number one, ask the Lord to give us our first love back. See, the more I love Jesus, the more I'm going to want to please Him. The more that I think about Him every day, the more I'm going to not do the things that displease Him. The more that I put my eyes heavenward, the more life here becomes dim. The easier I can let things flow through my fingers. Not to say they're not important, but they're not eternal. The more I love Jesus, the more I focus on the relationship that I have with Jesus, the more this life has different meaning. I am not the same. I don't have to worry about what the world worries about. I can worry, I can, I can see things coming my way and I can just not be impacted by them because I don't worry about that because my eyes and my love is focused on Jesus. I want that first love, do you? Do you want that first love back? Amen. Close your eyes with me if you will. Let's just pray. Father, we come to you, Jesus. And Lord, I repent of the times that I've let things become more important than you. Even the good things become more important than you. So Father, I just ask you now by by your mercy and grace that you would give me a first love, that you would restore to me that love that I had at the moment of salvation and beyond Lord, can I just see it, how much you love me? And can I be a a good reflection of that love back to you? Can I polish my mirror surface, polish that part of my life that reflects back your love? Clean me up, Lord Jesus. Take away the desires of my heart that would be displeasing to you so that I could love you better. It's all about love. It's all about relationship. And help me to keep that focused in my mind that it's not about the things. It's about relationship. Your whole word is about relationship. You want relationship with us. And you get that as we then relate back to you by accepting your son. And now that I'm a child, I can be loved by you as a father. (laughs) Father, forgive us. We, We repent. And we come to you now in the name of Jesus. And we say, Father, be pleased. Be pleased. Be pleased with our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This morning, I just will ask you, this is something to really consider. This is probably one of the most important messages I think I've ever preached, quite honestly, because this is one that really lasts. I would ask you to consider truly in your heart what you're doing. Why are you doing it? Love Jesus. Put your focus on relationship with him. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. praise your name. Go with us throughout this day now. As we fellowship with Next Door, I pray that you would just bless the food, bless the hands that have prepared it. Thank you so much for their faithfulness. Go with us now throughout this day. In Jesus' name, amen.